Baba O'Reilly. I just made my kids listen to that song. We're sitting in the car and Jason was in the grocery store and I'm like, stop talking. And I'm like, <laughs> listen to this. And then I make them watch ABBA videos all the time. <laughs> they just die. Yes. <laughs> Aren't they? I was going to say, I don't know if there is like how much winking in a music video is too much winking. <laughs> But I think that in this music video, ABBA really pushes the boundaries. <laughs> oh my oh goodness. Gosh, so funny. Oh, okay. okay, woohoo. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 77. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about establishing a family culture. Pope St. John Paul II once said, quote, As the family goes, so goes the nation, and so goes the whole world in which we live. End quote. How we interact with and enjoy one another as a family can have a huge impact on our larger communities. So what exactly is a family culture, you ask? And how do we go about beginning the cultivation of one? Well, let's take a closer look. But first, if you enjoy this episode of the Modern Lady Podcast, please take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your review can help the Modern Lady stand out so that others may find us too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to Shaylin Brienne, who left us a comment on our Facebook page while we were on our short summer break and said, quote, I am loving your podcast. I started at the beginning, episode one, and have been binging while doing housework all week. I'm learning a lot and love your personalities, end quote. Well, thank you so much for your comment, Shaylin. We hope that you've been enjoying catching up on the show. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Michelle, I'm sure you'll agree that it's been a scorcher of a summer this year. And this got me thinking about how people kept cool before Carrier invented the air conditioner in 1902. In ancient Egypt, people hung damp reeds over their doorways and windows. And as the air would flow through these areas, the dampness of the reeds would cool that air down. Women in the Australian outback discovered the same technique, but instead of reeds, they would hang wet sheets in the doorways. And apparently this really works well. In the Middle East, wind towers would direct air down into buildings, and this is still a common technique that can be seen in big cities with multi-storied buildings that were built prior to the 1950s. They often have an interior courtyard that wasn't just a nice area to sit in. These walled-in areas in the middle of the building acted as a ventilation shaft, pulling air down and then into the windows that opened onto the courtyard. Here in North America, you can also see this type of wind tower in the form of a tall, skinny tower at the front of Victorian or Gothic style houses. Think of the Adams Family House with that Gothic square and tall tower out front. These brought cool air into houses before central air. Deep set windows and doorways also provided shade and drew air in, acting like a sort of vacuum in hot climates. It was also common to draw heavy curtains over the windows as soon as the sun came up and to leave the house dark during the day. 
I always assumed that having windows open during the day would cool the house down, but it can actually heat the house up. <laughs> Keeping it closed up and dark often works better, and then one just opens everything back up as soon as the sun sets. Now, there is a rumor that one Roman emperor had his own special way of keeping cool during the hot summer. It is said that donkeys would carry cartloads of snow to Emperor Elgabalus from mountaintops. And while I can't imagine that much snow would be left by the time it got to him, it was just another sign that keeping cool has always been a luxury and still is for many people throughout the world. Still today, in most tropical places, the best way to avoid the heat during the hot day is to just avoid it altogether and have an afternoon siesta. Oh, well, I am always here for siestas. <laughs> <laughs> I often say I wish that would make a comeback. I know, right? Why can't we have siestas in our air-conditioned area in, in Waterloo Region, Ontario? <laughs> Oh my goodness, I know. I, I don't have donkeys to bring me snow from the mountaintops. I just need a nap. Yes, yes. <laughs> I do close our curtains on the, um, well, the west side of our house. That's like where our bedroom and our living room face mm -hmm. because I find that our bedroom is unbearable. Yeah. Um, in the late afternoon as the sun is setting it just gets so hot but what I didn't know and I find fascinating is how architecture mm -hmm. <laughs> has always in so many ways but especially in this way served in more ways than just being purely aesthetic oh there's right? so much on this if we could have done an entire mm -hmm. episode actually on how architecture kept houses cool and warm like there's just so much information Ooh. on that about the types of flooring how thick the walls could be there's yeah you can go down that route whole later. <laughs> Raising families is not always an easy endeavor, and the challenges facing families today can seem incredibly overwhelming at times. But it is possible to develop strong families, and this is where this wonderful idea of cultivating a family culture comes in. Right, Lindsay? That's right. We all know those families that seem to have it all together. Take a minute and think of some qualities that those families have. Is it the way that they speak to each other with respect and good humor? Is it the way they share a sense of humor? The way that they laugh at the same things? The way they find enjoyment in similar pursuits? Is it the way that they're always there for each other? We can likely all call to mind at least one family like this. But sadly, I think it's becoming harder and harder to do so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really feels like... Um, that idea of a family life is slipping more and more into this ideal, yeah. like what we all kind of wish and hope for, or that was something that they did back in the day. Yep. <laughs> but it is, it's, it's hard to find. And it's also difficult to navigate today, um, possibly because there's so many things to distract us Absolutely. from family. Whereas um, back in the day, it might've been easier to focus on the family, um, as a cornerstone. That's right. Yep. You're right. And you and I were really looking into this idea of family culture, right? And that we believe mm -hmm. it's still important. We see that it's dwindling in front of us. And so we are here to inspire you guys and ourselves to really commit to fostering and encouraging this family culture to grow within our own homes and hopefully in everybody's homes. But first we have to define what we mean by that. And MIT professor Edgar Sheehan was, can be quoted as saying, culture is a way of working together toward common goals that have been followed so frequently and so successfully that people don't even think about trying to do things another way. 
If a culture mm-hmm. has formed, people will autonomously do what they need to do to be successful. Yeah, I've always been intrigued by this idea of forming a family culture. I heard about it first from Kendra Tierney mm-hmm. from Catholic All Year. And I I remember it very vividly because that was when the boys, our twin boys, were infants. Mm-hmm. And so having infant twins, imagine stumbling across this idea of <laughs> cultivating a family culture. Um I've never been one to be discouraged, though, from social media. I just take on all the things. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yes, we need to do this, too, Um, (laughs) as soon as I sleep for longer than 30 (laughs) minutes at a time. Um, And so, yeah, it's been a huge work in progress and something that I just continue to mull over in my head over and over again. But even online, you can see like various blogs and Instagrammers over the years have really been developing this um, this concept and in some cases game plans, like mm-hmm. very handy game plans and strategies that other people can use to start to cultivate this idea of what a family culture is and what yours could look like. And I think it's interesting that I, I believe that when we look at, because uh, I associate it more with like a business culture, like a, a mission statements, mm-hmm. how you run your company. But I I think that businesses based that off of initially the family <laughs> and then mm-hmm. they kind of like, thought, okay, how does a family work? They wanted to add that family culture into their business culture. Um, they seem very intertwined. And then we've kind of, like we were saying, forgotten about it within a family. And now we're trying to take it back from the business side (laughs) and take these things that they've implemented and put them back into the family. Because anytime you look into this stuff, you're going to find it so tightly interwoven, whether it's a business website or family information, it all kind of Mm. is tightly woven together, right? But we want to seize it back from the workplace and be like, no, actually this started in the home. (laughs) That's really interesting. You can see it in the terminology of Mm -hmm. businesses, right? It's our work family. Like that type of thing. Yes. It's become so vernacular to us. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and this is the idea that I, I started looking into having a family mission statement. It's not something that mm-hmm. we have. Do you guys have one, Michelle? No, we don't. Okay. But again, it's something that I've heard about often and I, I like the idea of it. Yeah. And I think most of us have worked at places that have a work mission statement. And so mm-hmm. I started to look into that and there was actually so much information that basically we'll just put a link in the notes to the art of because they have an, he has an excellent article. Mm. It's really, really detailed about how to set up a family mission statement for all different sized families, right from a family of two all the way up and just what questions you need to ask each other and everything like that. Um, Stephen Covey, who wrote the hugely successful book about the um, habits of effective, what's that book? The seven (laughs) highly effective habits of successful people. Yes. Yes. That guy. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) Sure. (laughs) He talked about a family mission statement and he said a family mission statement is a combined unified expression from all family members of what your family is all about, what it is you really want to do and be, and the principles you choose to govern your family life. And so that's something Mm -hmm. my family is actually going to sit down and work on. And it's not supposed to be done in one night, right? Like, cause you and I would be like, okay, that's it. It's family mission statement night, (laughs) but I think it should (laughs) be a process. And so that's something Mm -hmm. that we're going to look into more. I'm really excited to do that um, as part of this determining and continuing to work on our own family culture. Mm -hmm. I like that idea of writing it down Mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, well, 
even with your to-do lists or grocery lists, if you don't write it down, it doesn't really exist, Yeah, <laughs> we'll say, in the same way as something codified does. Yeah. And that's why everything of importance in our society is is written down and made sure that it is specific and it's focused and um, it really gets to the heart of what it needs to say. And so why wouldn't we do that with our families, like yeah. the goals and the ideals and the values that we cherish within our own families? To me, following that thought process, that just makes a lot of sense. So yeah. we will also sit down and yes. over time cultivate a family mission statement. Good. Okay. Yes. And then First action item. You're supposed to have it hanging in a place where you see it, where you guys see it all the time. Mm. Do you know what's funny? I just realized, you know how those um canvas arts became really popular from like home sense that were in yeah. this family, we blah, blah, blah. And you kind of just mm -hmm. find one and go, yeah, that basically sums us up. <laughs> at home sense and it's yeah. done and you just would buy those it's were really true. popular for a little while and um mm -hmm. i don't see them around as much but yeah now is the time to actually you know talk about it with your own family and come up with one that is unique to your family and then have it hanging in a place where everybody who enters your home it should be very clear who you are and what you guys stand for not only in your behavior but they can see that in the way that you uh, decorated your home and the way you maintain your home it should just be a complete reflection of who you are as a united family I really love that. And you were mentioning Dr. Phil, mm -hmm. and he has five points to consider when you're doing something like this or beginning this process. And yes. I really like them too, because yeah, if you're just going to sit down at a table with, <laughs> my kids are all very young, yeah. um, having a framework and some guidelines to get you thinking could be helpful. So what were those, what were his five points? Exactly? Well, Dr. Phil, I just have to say when this is before his show became really tabloidy. Um, mm. But, you know, I've talked before about how my marriage was suffering really, really badly in the early years. And so um, just like how you came across Kendra Tierney, you know, when you had your twins yes. um, early on mm. in our marriage during those rough days, Jason and I bought the family first book by Dr. Phil when we had our first baby. And although I don't have the book anymore, it really did stick with me. And so there was a lot of good things he had to say in there. So like what you're saying, these five factors. Mm -hmm. And so the first one is create a nurturing and accepting family system. I guess the essence mm -hmm. here is that our homes are a place in which each person in the family belongs, right? It is their right. safe place. And what I love about what Dr. Phil had to say is that in, in the home, it's where you seek to discover the individual and unique skills of each person in the family and what gifts they have. And then you draw those gifts out and you encourage the talents and, and authenticity of each family member. Mm -hmm. The second of his five factors is promote rhythm in your family life. And this is something I think you're really good at, Michelle. Um, but mm. it really means just having a predictable pace of family life. What time is dinner time in your house? Do you have like a special Saturday morning routine? It's pancakes in my house. Um, mm. Do you attend church every single Sunday and not just when you feel up to it? You know what? It's right in line with what we talked about last week. What was our episode last week? About leisure. So right. <laughs> does your family, your spouse, your children, can they tell when you are actually unplugged from work, right? When you're then engaged mm. in that leisure time, if, if you've cultivated that, can they feel that you're actually present with them in your time off? So there is that clear rhythm of mom or dad's at work and now mom and dad are home. And when mom and dad is at home, this is what home life feels like. 
Mm-hmm. What I like about rhythm is that if you have one that works well for your family, it, it's different from a schedule mm. and it's even different from a routine, right? Yeah. Um, because I know the rhythms in our life too, It the time fluctuates depending on what's happening at any given point. For example, we have family movie night. That's mm-hmm. part of our family culture right now. But sometimes it starts at 6.30 on a Friday. Sometimes it starts at 8. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's not super important. But like what you're saying, if there is a rhythm to your family life and that people are able to, for the most part, predict where they need to be, what they need to be doing, and what the family is doing at um, certain points during the week or the day, what I think that gives people is a sense of security and stability to then be able to just be easygoing yeah. <laughs> like and to be themselves right because when people are at ease within themselves they can be at ease with everyone else and you start to see a lot of this peace and easygoing camaraderie starting to develop uh, amongst families who just kind of are confident in what comes next I love that because I carry a lot of guilt about not having a lot of routines or schedules, but you, I love that you separated rhythm from that because I actually do feel like mm-hmm. we have a family rhythm, but we yes. don't have a routine or schedules. Okay. So <laughs> thank you for actually clearing that up for me because yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would say that we have that. And so they are, they are different things. They're two unique things. So for Mm -hmm. number three, it's establish meaningful rituals and traditions. Well, (laughs) Dr. Phil is not Catholic, but we are. And so (laughs) (laughs) our faith is just like, if there's one thing about Catholicism that I think even non-Catholics would say, it's like, man, that thing, that faith is filled with rituals, right? Rituals and tradition. And traditions. And traditions. (laughs) And feast days and liturgical seasons filled with opportunities to celebrate. It is certainly a festive religion. And and so mm-hmm. there's just lots of great chances. And and the thing is, it's actually so full of chances and opportunities to celebrate feast days and different um, celebrations throughout the year that you can only do if you only can handle doing a third of them. Mm-hmm. You're still doing a lot mm-hmm. as a family. And going back to Kendra Tierney, you know, she's the she's the queen of this. And she does her, mm-hmm. her thing is Catholic all year. So it's all about how to live those things throughout the year. But I, again, it's an area I'm not strong in. But I don't feel mm-hmm. guilty that I don't do all of the different things within the liturgical season because there are many other things that I do throughout the year as a Catholic. So, yeah, I, I think that that is just an, uh, a treasure trove full of ready-made ideas of, you know, over 2000 years of tradition that is just waiting for us in the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah. And I love that some of them are so ingrained that even in um, the secular culture mm-hmm. outside of the church, they they at least know i think people know what it is that we're celebrating at any given time yeah halloween (laughs) anyone that's catholic (laughs) (laughs) that's right or even lent yes right like how many how many conversations during lent start with what are you giving up for lent yes like whether or not there's a, a strong catholic connection to the family or not and i think that that's really cool yeah um and even outside of the church too, like you can establish like what this point is saying, you establish them. Yeah. So even if it is in regards to the liturgical living, um, how you celebrate a lot of those feast days is not specified in the, you know, the catechism yeah. or anything like that. It, it's up to you. Be creative. What's going to stand out to you? And one thing Kendra Tierney does say in um, a few of her articles is that for her, um, a lot of the time it centers around food for them because mm-hmm. she figures 
people need to eat anyways. So it's like killing two birds with one stone. But she really uh, looks forward to the day when one of her kids calls her and asks, what's that recipe for, (gasps) you know, that we always used to eat on this one feast day, right? And I was like, yeah, that's what she has established for her family that works. And so I love the freedom in that and that there is, um, if you are Catholic, there is a structure for you to follow. It's like a beginner's guide. You, just, <laughs> you can just start right from there. But in, in all cases, it's up to you to establish it. And there is so much creativity that can be had. I love that you said that about the recipes because Dr. Phil actually mm-hmm. talks about the importance of cooking and actually cooking the same oh. food on the same occasions. So like Christmas isn't Christmas mm-hmm. in my family without me making this tray of cookies and sweets and squares, but my aunt did that and I took that on from her. Oh, and yes. so that's, you know, and then even in my recipe box handwritten out, it's Lindsay's dessert tray. And so it has, and I have the list of everything I'd make so that my kids will find that when I'm gone one year, um, whenever, you know, their first Christmas is without me. And so mm-hmm. cooking is a really, really big part of rituals and traditions within a family. Another one Dr. Phil talked about is telling family stories. And that one, I Ooh. love that. Right? I do love that too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's nothing quite like when you become old enough with your siblings and you can start to let your parents mm-hmm. in maybe on some of the things that they weren't fully aware of, or you didn't think they were fully aware of when I you were teenagers. I was just going to say, <laughs> my, my parents knew everything. <laughs> that's awesome and these things don't have to be elaborate we have a little tradition Mm -hmm. which has been going on for the last year where jason calls me from the car safely you guys he's a cop um hands free (laughs) every day when he drives home and the phone rings and the kids all know because i put him on speakerphone and so i answer and i'm like hello and he always says talk to me exactly like that that tone of voice talk to me (laughs) not hello and then i'm like and his nickname, I call him Woody. I'm like, Woody, I can't. I've got a thousand things I have to do. And he's like, talk to me. And he just says it over and over again <laughs> until I tell him something. And, he, and yeah. I'm, and you know, and I try to brush it off, but darn it, it's sweet. And I really shouldn't brush him off when he calls every. So that is something my kids know that dad calls. They have to hand, um, hand me the phone that he wants to talk about his day and my day as he drives home. And they also know that he'll be home in 15 minutes from the minute that phone mm-hmm. call comes through, right? So these are oh. funny daily rituals. They're not just yearly things, right? Celebrations, there are little right. daily rituals that we can work into our families. Oh my goodness. I love that. (laughs) And it kind of goes into the next point too of Dr. Phil's. Yes. I'm just looking at it on here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So number four is be active in your communication. So Dr. Phil said, the greatest things that you can give your children are your ears and your voice. Um, you know, in our family, we talk it out and I've said this many times, there are, is no question off limits. And when my children come to me and they need to talk, nothing else matters. And that's something I established when they were, uh, could first speak. So like, I really read this thing years ago that stuck with me where it's like, if you listen to your kids with the small things, they will come to you with the big things. And so the small things Mm. is like when they want to talk to you about their Minecraft world for 45 Mm. minutes straight. Um, (laughs) And you just put that smile on your face and you listen, because I've seen this in my life already with having bigger kids, they are coming to me with the bigger things. And so Mm. that's a really, I love that Dr. Phil said that, that, you know, again, the greatest things that you can give your children are your ears and your voice. That's a really good reminder Mm -hmm. that I need (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm still at the little things stage. Yes, <laughs> it's hard. And, and it, it is hard. Like, I think we need to acknowledge that, too, that it, it can be quite tedious sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and easy to brush them off and yeah. to think that, yeah, I listen to my kids. But, you know, if I stop to think about it, you know, I, I know I could do much better with that. And yeah. to have the future foresight of what that will mean when they start having not so little things to say yeah. and to talk about, you've already established that culture of hearing each other out no matter what. I really love that. And I find that very inspiring for myself. Yeah. And Dr. Phil also calls this other activity, he calls it quilting, but it refers to just like a quilting party. Uh, Whenever a group of the family is together and they're doing an activity and then conversation will just naturally spring from it. Right. So just like, Mm. so he talks about it. If you're like tending the garden together or washing the car, that these are quilting activities Mm. and that these are the things that get the conversation flowing in a family. And it's really important to do these tasks, these side by side tasks with with your family and with your kids so that you keep talking and keep listening. Mm, that's really interesting. I wonder if he would consider family dinners or oh yeah, that together, was a big one. A yes. quilting. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome because growing up, I would say that was our quilting mm-hmm. <laughs> activity, and it's true. So much came up at family dinners. Oh, um, yeah. Not planned, like not staged, not planned. Mom didn't ever say like, okay, everyone, we need to discuss this today. Yeah. But oh man, the conversations that we had and they were invaluable and they have stuck with me all these years. So I, I do like that idea though. Um, and I think um, sometimes when we were talking about leisure last week, mm-hmm. sometimes I think probably subconsciously that's what I'm aiming for with my leisure which maybe isn't considered leisure then but (laughs) no I know what you mean I I, yeah like I want to actually have some of those activities built into our leisure um, where these conversations will just naturally spring up and take place and you know what that is what they were doing when we were talking last week about the African Mm -hmm. cultures and what the Von Trapp family did it's that family storytelling and then naturally from Mm, that then would spring these other these other types of conversation that's so that is definitely legitimate leisure you're you're on the right track (laughs) all right I (laughs) never want our episodes to contradict each other (laughs) at least so close together at their release time (laughs) we can't do it one week apart (laughs) that's right hilarious okay go on (laughs) so the last one number five is learn how to manage crisis so in your family culture how do you manage crisis um or Mm. crises um you know what we've had a few big ones in our family so far and it's really and until it hits you it's hard to prepare for um but yeah. if you reflect back on how your family did when you were growing up and then you know if this is to say if you haven't had anything really dramatic happen yet within your little mm-hmm. immediate family but so do you turn towards each other or do you turn away from each other a family's going to do one of those two things when a crisis hits. Do you find meaning in your suffering? Now you might think that that's from you and I as Catholics, but that's from Dr. Phil about how important it is to find meaning in your suffering. Um, Mm. Dr. Phil says, how do you cope individually? Right? Because that's going to shape the family culture as well. You need to own that yourself. And then how do your children see you cope as well? And then how do they Mm -hmm. see you interacting with your spouse during a crisis and how you turn to each other? And so it's all of these, like it's, 
these are sometimes family culture defining moments, right? It either puts your family culture to the test because you have that mission statement written. (laughs) You have family (laughs) meetings. You think we've got this on lockdown and a crisis will happen. It happens to everybody. And so it's either going to rock you to your core or it's going to really then get all of these things you kind of practiced for that culture. Like we were reading the definition earlier about how it's um, a practice set of actions that become autonomous, right? So Mm -hmm. does everything kind of slip into place because you've really established a strong family culture so that everybody knows what to do? Yeah, that's what I was going to say too. It sounds like um, that makes a a very strong case towards practicing and developing a family culture um, always. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And not to say that having a family culture or not having a family culture is going to like make or break your crises moments (laughs) as a family, but I can definitely see how having an established one by the time a crisis hits would be a, a great asset to have in helping already a tumultuous time. Absolutely. One of the things Jason and I learned early on too in our marriage is this concept of a flight plan so that you have to have a very solid understanding of where you want to end up, right? It's the big picture. Mm. It's what you and I talk about. What is your goal for the end? And so that's our flight plan. We know where we want to end up, but like with any flight plan, you know what? There can be weather patterns or things where you have to alter it a little bit, but we always have that end destination in mind. And that mm-hmm. is rooted in our core, our, our common value system, that um, our core set of values that Jason and I share that we've passed on to our children. Um, we have been shaken many times throughout our marriage, but we have never taken our eyes off that funnel destination. And mm-hmm. um, I, I just feel like that's such a, a big picture way of stepping back and really looking at why this is important. I love that analogy of the airplane mm-hmm. and the flight plan, right? Because yeah. to me, that's what um, family culture has to have that kind of overarching big picture mentality. I think yeah. it's not like a moment by moment thing. Uh, the family culture is what helps you in the moment by moment. But that really kind of lets you off the hook when we're talking about forming a family culture and what goes into developing one because. Um, depending who is involved, how many people are involved, this is not going to be a quick and easy process to figuring out what's going to work for everyone, right? And you're going to have to try things out and to uh, have some successes and quite a lot of failures before you figure it out. But if your goal is something that is long lasting and far reaching into the future, then I think that um, having that flight plan in place, you will, uh, those frequent stops and stopovers (laughs) (laughs) won't be quite so frustrating and detrimental to the whole journey itself. And when you need to stop and refuel, right? Like it's so common in life. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You're so right. Because I was going to say too, like Jason and I've had to do a lot of experimenting over the years, a lot of starting Mm -hmm. and stopping things. Right. And yeah, I can say it's never felt comfortable at the beginning ever. And when we're trying something new, right. But then I feel like we've been able to quickly determine once you've started, like, yep, this is going to work for us or nope, this isn't going to work for us. And we'll talk a little bit about letting go of the guilt when it doesn't work, because I Mm -hmm. felt that was a legit feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. but when we started to latch on to things that did work, 
things really did click into place and it felt really smooth. So I had this realization the other night and it was around 1030 and it was dark outside and my kids, my older kids were actually outside in the backyard in the pitch black playing around. And Jason was upstairs with our youngest and I was in the kitchen finishing cleaning up and I had a dress on and an apron and my hair was up in a high ponytail. And I had one of my dad's old vinyl records on from the 1950s and I was singing along and I'm cleaning. And then I'm like, oh, I'm living my dream life. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like I actually oh, wow oh okay I started crying and I realized that this was the <laughs> life I dreamed of when I was a little girl that yes and people were like okay you dreamed of cleaning your kitchen at 10 30 at night no what I'm talking about is that <laughs> feeling so when I was a little girl mm. I was about seven when I first saw Greece which I side note don't recommend for seven-year-olds <laughs> <laughs> or even 12 year olds. Um, but there's sure. a lot of innuendo <laughs> you don't get. But anyways, mm. I, I watched that movie when I was very young. And then I proceeded to watch it on a borrowed VHS tape from my neighbor every single day for five years. I knew every word of the movie Grease. I, I had the soundtrack on the records and I would lay and look through every picture. I became obsessed with the 1950s as a very, very young girl. And while while I had some very liberal feminist ideas growing up, and I always thought I'd have this high powered career and didn't want kids and all these things deep down like little girl Lindsay <laughs> was very mm. drawn to this romantic idea of a 50s household and not playing dress up right you and I've talked mm -hmm. before about it not being like this misplaced nostalgia of wanting to do role playing no that mm -hmm. that feeling of that kind of household so anyways I marry Jason you guys can listen to my whole testimony episode about how <laughs> not 1950s housewifey my life was for many many years um <laughs> and how I never would have thought we'd get to that point but then over the years Jason really I didn't know this until recently, but that was his childhood dream too. Mm. And that was just how he always wow. envisioned his family. But he never let me know that because I was a scary feminist. So he would never <laughs> let me know the inner workings of his heart like that. And so um, we kind of uncovered that together and we grew into that mm -hmm. together. And I didn't realize that over these last, you know, eight years, it's been an eight year long journey for us that we have morphed into that, that we've actually authentically become that, that that has become our culture, that we don't even have to think about it anymore, that he comes in in a suit every day and says, hi, honey, I'm home essentially. And I kiss him with my apron on and, and we, as I'm cooking dinner, like that is our actual life. We're not pretending. And so that all hit me like a ton of bricks the other night, just as I was cleaning. And I'm like, it all came true. And so all of this to say <laughs> that it was a lot of experimentation. It was a lot of not communicating our desires properly to each other, but it's also a lot of people can change. So mm -hmm. if you yes. think you're so rooted in what your culture has been and you think we can't change it, we've been living this way for 20 years, you absolutely can change it because I could have never foreseen the family that Jason and I have, have created now and the lifestyle in our family culture now. I would have never believed that it was possible for us. And it is 100% the authentic life we're living. And so it's possible for everybody. Mm hmm. Oh, I love that because I'm still I feel like we're still very much a work in progress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We've made a, a ton of progress, um, but we're still at the point in our lives. I feel like where people are changing right. so very rapidly yeah. that we haven't really kind of um, settled in and said, wow, like this is what we are 
what we have always been shooting for. Um, but that's okay. Like we're actually enjoying it for what it is yeah. <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Enjoying the process. And that's part of it yes. too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like for our kids, for all of us, as we are, as we all grow, like it's totally fine with us um, that we are just trying different things out and figuring things out. But I like what you said um, about how you and Jason um, realize now that this is what you both have always wanted, mm-hmm. because I do think that talking about it often um Amongst your family, if your kids are little, like ours are still pretty much are, um, especially with your spouse, Mm -hmm. but talking often about what exactly it is we value as a family um, has really, really helped because when one of us suggests something that we would like to try in our family culture, it's not something weird out of left field, (laughs) right? Like we know then what the other person sees as something they want to pursue for our family. And we've probably talked about it. And we probably uh, at that point agree that it's something that we feel is, is essential to our family culture. And so that we can just go for it. And it's really Mm -hmm. important to be honest, right? Like we were saying, like really be honest with your spouse, Mm -hmm. but like, this is what my heart really desires for our family. You have to be really vulnerable with that. And you're going Mm -hmm. to have to look back over your life and go, okay, what, (laughs) how did I get here that this is what I'm desiring? And and you have Mm -hmm. to be really truthful, but actually in that art of manliness.com article about how to write a family mission statement when he talked this was so cute because he talks about asking all of your kids to to have them open their hearts up and share what matters to them he's like so even if your three-year-old's like our family likes pizza he's like that's important like that's important to them oh i like that right so it's Mm -hmm. so like what you're saying if it's this consistent and continual conversation about what matters to you what matters to each person in the family things won't come out of left field if you're just really honest about it and have this conversation all the time Mm-hmm. So what I find really cool about this, that concept of going around to each person, even the little kids, mm-hmm. which now I want to do that too, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and asking what everyone feels is important to them and then really considering, will this fit? How can we make it fit into our family culture? I think that gives people a real sense of ownership of their family and their role of the family and then pride in your family. Mm -hmm. Right. And so something Kendra Tierney talks about in her, in her initial post, I think about family culture as she defines it. um, She talks about how it was easy for then her and her husband to say like, Tyrannies don't do this. They don't do A, B, or C. But tyrannies also do also do X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. right? And so that it was a very clear cut thing. And if everybody has a stake, as it as you might say, in the family culture and in writing that family mission statement, yeah. and they've had input and they have felt heard, I can really see this being a, a great um, safeguard of all the converging values and desires of a family that make it unique and then keep people there. Mm-hmm. So now that my kids are getting older, it's like what you're saying that when they go out without us now, we always remind them you when you're out without us are a physical representation of our family. And I think that that can be miscon- like misconstrued as make sure that you're on your best behavior so that people don't think badly of us. It's not that I want our whole family to just radiate our core beliefs. So it's not like we're imposing that on the children. It, mm. um, it's that mm. 
it they would naturally represent that. Do you know what I mean? Because I feel like a lot of times yeah. people are like, well, we just put that on our kids and it's just so that nobody looks at us badly. No, like I want it to be so genuine and authentic about your like what you're saying with the tyranny family. Like in the Murray house, mm-hmm. this is what we do. And I learned that it's funny because Dr. Phil talked about the same. It's like we could do a, a rap battle between Kendra Tierney and Dr. Phil because they're, oh gosh. they're saying a lot of the same things. <laughs> but he said the same thing too about, yeah, the McGraws don't do this. And I just really love that. And that really has stuck with me too. It's these, it's actually quite simple, right? It's just out of all the things you and I are saying, you can just pull out a few of these things and go, yeah, okay, we can do this in our family. Now, one of the things that we had to deal with was letting go of that guilt about not fitting into Mm. other people's family cultures. So I can't tell you how many years I spent thinking we needed to be a camping family or an outdoorsy family or a family (laughs) whose kids were enrolled in dance or hockey. And we would try those things on and it never felt right. And we'd be miserable and it would stress us out. Mm. And then on top of that, even worse than that was the feeling of guilt. Like, well, all Mm. other families are doing this. What's wrong with my family? And, and it took Jason and I a long time to just really admit to ourselves that we don't like those things (laughs) and it's Mm -hmm. okay. And that's not part of our family culture and that we get to define that. And so I'm still trying to shake off some of that guilt. I don't think it just, you know, evaporates. So we're still working through that, but we're, it's not just a moving away from the things that we don't like and that don't fit into our family culture. But like we're saying now, it's a moving towards then the things that do work for your family culture and then embrace those things joyfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have a similar and yet variation of that emotion too. Whereas I still get very easily swept up into trying to emulate everybody else's family cultures Mm. but not because I feel like I should but because I just love them so much yeah yeah (laughs) I just think that seems so much fun that seems like it works so well I really admire this I'll do that too you know and then um yeah but a similar uh result takes place and it's just kind of this hodgepodge (laughs) of everything that's not even necessarily exactly like we would do too so yeah um I think there it's still possible to see different family cultures and the fruits of those family cultures and then um see like truly consider if it would work for your family but if not how can you adapt it and um ultimately if it's just not a good fit how can you just continue to admire it (laughs) as you go along your own family path So I think as you're going through that process, like I alluded to earlier, um, you're going to have to sort through your own memories. And I think this can be an unexpectedly emotional process. A lot of us are going to have to really sit down and think, okay, why do I view family the way I do? What worked in my family growing up? What didn't work in my family growing up? And that can bring back a lot of emotional feelings. And I don't think that this is a time to dwell on the negatives. You know, we can't change Mm. the past. We know that. But I do think it's an important thing to look through and really identify those things. Um, But instead, it's time to use those emotions then to motivate yourself to actively work to create that new family culture in your in your family. And then maybe the flip side is maybe you had a great family upbringing and you loved everything they did, but then maybe your issue is that you haven't raised your own kids well and you're feeling with that guilt. Mm. And now you're sitting back going, well, oh my goodness, my kids are teenagers now. I, I, you know, I really dropped the ball and you aren't alone if you're feeling that. Um, and so you're having all of that guilt or, or maybe 
your kids have moved out and again, maybe you dropped the ball and now it's just you and your husband and you're thinking, well, it's too late for a family culture. It's, you know, we're empty nesters now. I, I guess that ship has sailed. Um, it, it's never, it's never the case. You, you can start at whatever stage you're at. You can start that today. Right. And while we were prepping for this episode, I couldn't help but think back to my own experience growing up in a strong family culture. And I have to say, like, I don't think my parents um, did it so formally, Mm. right? Like we did not have a written out mission statement in our house. But looking back, I can see we definitely did have a strong sense of family identity and purpose and focus. And it did a a lot of things for me, but most significantly, um, it made me feel like I was a part of something important Mm. and that I had importance and value. I didn't need to seek it elsewhere when I was growing up. I knew I had it in my family. It was fun. So, you know, we're talking about this might seem like a task, like just one more thing you have to do. Honestly (laughs) and truly, like um, my family life growing up, I remember it being very fun. Um, I know people as I was growing up, especially in my teen and college years, people were like, wow, you have a really vast and varied love of movies and music that span eras and genres. Mm. (laughs) And that was due to my family culture growing up, spending so much time with my parents, who they just loved introducing us to all the things that they loved. And so now, as we've grown up, we have a bunch of shared memories um, of the movie nights. Uh, Certain soundtracks or albums will immediately conjure up um, family road trips. Uh, And truly, as a teenager, I preferred spending Friday nights at home with just my family. We would order pizza. We'd put on a new slash it's an old movie that my parents wanted to show us that week. Um, And then finally, it just it made my family's values my values without it having to be spoken necessarily, if you understand what I mean. Absolutely. So. Like I felt supported and confident when I went into the world because I knew that my family had my back on the issues that mattered most. And it truly did not matter to me whether the entire rest of the world thought I was wrong or crazy or whatever. (laughs) But if my family, who was grounded in our Catholic faith, everything centered around that, uh, but if they stood a certain way on an issue, I really was able to, I felt, Uh, to boldly stand there too. And it's actually pretty incredible from my own experience, thinking back how impactful a family culture can be on, on a child. I absolutely love that. And you know what, for those of you listening who didn't have that and who were kind of feel like you're starting out in the desert, right? You are kind of, it's an exodus moment for you and you're like, okay, we're, we're starting out new here as a family. Some of us won't see the promised land. We're not going to see the generational impact that this is going to have. What you might be is the person who's breaking the legacy and you're creating that new from fresh, from scratch family culture. And so Mm -hmm. you just have to put in the work and trust that your hard work will pay off and that your grandchildren will, will see that promised land. And you know what, to kind of go along with that, but maybe take some of the pressure off. I really think that if, you are someone who really desires a family culture and is intentional just even about noticing the little things that can make up your family culture, I really don't think you have anything to fear. Mm. Like, I really believe that the desire and the intention is 
a lot of the battle and a lot of the starting up of the process itself. Actually, today is the feast day of St. Clair of Assisi. And um, so obviously on every St. Feast Day, just my social media feeds, because I follow so many Catholic (laughs) accounts, are just full of saint quotes from that saint. And so what came up today for St. Clair was uh, when she said, quote, we become what we love and who we love shapes what we become. End of the quote. Mm -hmm. I think this fits in so well with this whole topic of the podcast today, informing a family culture, because I think that's what it comes down to ultimately, right? Yeah. Is about love, who we love, that being our families, um, and that will shape who we become, who our families become. And then it does have a huge impact on our world and the direction our world is going. Yeah. So we don't want you to listen to this and again, just stress and go, now we have to do a big family meeting this weekend and all just add this to our to-do list. No, we do want this to be um, an exciting thing, like you were saying, and to enjoy the process. But we do believe that this is serious and that Mm -hmm. it's really important that we all take up this mission to create a strong family culture. In 1981, Servant of God, Sister Lucia, the main visionary at Fatima, wrote in a letter to Cardinal Carlo Caffara, a dire warning, and he shared this in 2008. Her letter said, The final battle between the Lord and the kingdom of Satan will be about marriage and the family. Don't be afraid, because whoever works for the sanctity of marriage and the family will always be fought against and opposed in every way, because this is the decisive issue. She ended saying, Nevertheless, Our Lady has already crushed his head. So what she's saying there is that we shouldn't be shocked when we are, then there's a ton of opposition coming against us whenever we try to work on something like this. Um, So don't be surprised if it just seems like everything is falling apart every time you try to take a step forward. But continue on because creation started with a family. The Savior of the world was born into a family. And your family is just as important. And know this, because Our Lady has promised it, we can be assured that all of our efforts in establishing and persevering in a family culture will have everlasting merit. We started out this episode by having you call to mind families that you know that have it all together, that exude peace and joy even amidst great trials. And now is the time for your family to become that family so that when others look around, seeking examples of whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, and if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that they think of your family and are inspired. time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Okay, Michelle, you know I just can't shake my newfound love of the Brady Bunch. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just so obsessed. So what I'm loving this week is another Brady Bunch thing. So a few years ago, HGTV aired a five-episode special called A Very Brady Renovation. And while I remember there being a lot of buzz about HGTV buying up the old Brady house, we hadn't had cable in a couple of years, so I never actually watched the show. 
Well, I found that short series on iTunes for just under $10 and it was the best $10 that I've spent in a long time because <laughs> we've already watched the whole series twice. Wow. <laughs> so for, wow. yeah, right. So for those of you who aren't familiar with anything that I'm talking about, um, the house that was used for the exterior shots in the Brady Bunch show mm. is very well known, right? Very recognizable. And it came up for sale mm -hmm. for the first time, I think since 1973. And there was a lot of interest, but HGTV purchased it for, I think around 3.5 million. And their plan was to renovate it so that it looks exactly like the set that the show was thought, um, uh, filmed on. But the interior of the house was obviously nothing at all like the set. Mm. And so they basically had to demolish the entire inside. And then they added a 2000 square foot addition so they could accommodate the actual layout of the house that you'd see on the show. So anyways, they bring back all six of the Brady kids to help with the demo and the work. And, and along with some of the HGTV stars, like the property brothers and stuff. And I was just so taken aback and blown away by the attention to detail and getting it right. Like absolutely perfect to the mm. show. And it, I just, they finish it and it's just a spectacular thing to watch. Jason doesn't even like the Brady Bunch and he watched every episode with me and he was clouding up a little bit. It's a very emotional oh. show because it just makes yes. you really reflect again on family culture. Obviously they were a fake family. Um, but this mm -hmm. idea of home and going back home when you never thought you could see it like that again and what that makes you feel like and just how that can shape an entire generation. It's just, it was a really, really good show. Oh my gosh. So who gets to live in it now? Well, so because of COVID happening. So I guess a woman right. won a contest and she was allowed to sleep there for six nights and oh. bring seven friends. And that's the only person that's really been in the house. Um, so it's been sitting just done. And I really hope they open it up to the public because I will be mm -hmm. on a plane when those borders are open to <laughs> California. <laughs> tour the Brady house and the coolest thing is they renamed the street all those poor neighbors I don't know if the neighbors would have loved or hated this whole process but the um they renamed the street the street name that the Brady's lived on so that's the official street name now and so the house is the address oh. of the Brady house and it's just I'm just totally nerding out here but <laughs> if you like the Brady's that's at amazing. all and you're just looking for something to watch as a family and you want to spend just under ten dollars on iTunes get a very Brady renovation. It does seem like a great convergence of many different interests. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Home renovation, the 70s, the Brady Bunch, uh -huh. all the things in one. <laughs> Absolutely. So what have you been loving this week? So I have been loving this new YouTube channel, new to me, though it's not new. It's called Twins, the New Trend. Ooh. Have you ever heard of this? No. You might have seen one of their videos right now that's going viral because I've been seeing it everywhere. And it's the video of the two teenage boys reacting to Phil Collins's yes. in the air tonight. Yes. Yes. Are they twins? <laughs> so that's, they are. I think they are. Okay. Cool. They're at least brothers. Yeah. Because it's um Tim and Fred Williams. Okay. That's, those are their names. Yeah. Um, and I just, I loved that clip and I kept seeing it everywhere. So I finally just went to their YouTube channel and it was so delightful and so sweet. Yes. <laughs> I proceeded to spend way too much time <laughs> watching their reactions to videos they posted. So many classic and well-loved songs. It's made me kind of fall in love with these songs again too, seeing their reactions. Oh. So the that's the whole premise of their channel is that these these boys tim and fred williams are filming their real-time reactions to popular songs that they have never heard before but we all have <laughs> do they do the so, um beach boys 
song. I'm trying. I actually think I wonder if I oh. saw one go viral a while ago where they listened to one of the most famous Beach Boys songs and they're just freaking out too. It's so awesome. Oh, maybe. But there's so many. Mm, so I've watched awesome. many of them, but I haven't watched all of them. And so uh, I can actually give you some to get started, mm-hmm, though, please. if you want to go down this rabbit hole. So as I previously mentioned in the air tonight, that one was an awesome reaction. Um, some of my other favorite ones was their reaction to Dolly Parton's Jolene. Oh, yes. I know, which is a great oh, song. It's a great song, yeah. But also Unchained Melody oh, by the Righteous Brothers. Yes. And this was just the one brother doing it, but he... Him freaking out over the voice mm-hmm. um, of Unchained Melody, it's the best because mm-hmm. we know, like, we know um, that he's right. Mm-hmm. The reactions to Dream On by Aerosmith, <laughs> Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi, <laughs> Baba O'Reilly That's my by favorite The Who. Song. <laughs> I know. Oh my goodness, I love <laughs> so that song. you have to watch. Yes. yes. And then California Dreaming by the Mamas oh. and the Papas. That one really <laughs> made me laugh because he was like, <laughs> he's like, these people look like they're the Scooby-Doo people. <laughs> yeah, they do. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, actually, he's very correct. <laughs> they do kind of. Um, for you, though, specifically, Lindsay, mm-hmm. um, I was so glad to hear that you're still on your 70s mm-hmm. Brady Bunch kick because they react to ABBA's Take a Chance <gasps> on Me. I, that's one of my favorite ABBA songs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, then you'll super love it because they often also play the music video at the same time yeah. on the screen, <laughs> yes. too, below them. And I was watching this and I was thinking, this may be one of the most 70s things mm-hmm. I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And finally, probably the most important one, you should also probably watch their reaction to hearing the boss singing Dancing in the Dark for their first time ever. My goodness. Okay, so So this will be my, so these these are the songs Jason and I listen to on our weeknights or on our weekends, right? So like this will be, maybe we'll just do it through these guys, through their channel this weekend. (laughs) That's like my soundtrack. Yes. I think you should. They're so earnest in their, and they they get good music too. Mm -hmm. So when they're saying like, wow, the things that they're impressed by is like very much the musicality of a lot of these songs and the quality of the voices. So I think you'll really appreciate these guys. They're, they have a lot going for them. And I think they're immensely, they're, they're exactly what the internet needs right now. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.